One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We welcome you along to the programme and with that weather forecast, wrap up warm if you're going out. It looks like we've got a chilly week ahead, single digits for much of the week but overnight uh, temperatures are going to dip so we can expect some frosty mornings but it's going to be dry and sunny and you know, once you can wrap up when you're heading out, uh, we will be uh, okay. As I say, welcome you along to the programme. Thanks to John Paul filling in for me last week when I got one of these many many doses that are doing the rounds at the moment. It was one of those viruses again and it seemed to have affected my throat, my nose ears, so again the ear, nose and throat uh, virus that just uh, yeah floored me for a few days but it was just a kind of a really bad cough affecting my throat and obviously uh, even as I got better uh, as the week went on it was, talking became a, a bit of an issue and I still have this lingering cough that uh, seemingly I'm going to be stuck with for a while but uh, please God it, it will clear up sooner rather than later but when you're talking to people every second person seems to have some kind of a dose as I put it at the moment. Thankfully it wasn't COVID. The first thing you do isn't it though you reach for the rapid antigen test and swabbing the nose and swabbing the throat but thankfully all that came back uh, clear but there's so many other viruses out there so look after yourself and mind yourself. That's the only piece of advice I can give you and one very much with a local angle for us is the story that the new leader of the Social Democrats we now know is to be the Cork South West door deputy Holly Carnes. It was uh, announced yesterday after of course the other potential rivals announced uh, that they weren't going to put their names forward. It kicked off yesterday when Holly Kearns announced on Twitter that she would be putting her, herself forward for the leadership uh, contest but then very quickly after that uh, she got endorsements from the Wicklow TD, Jennifer Whitmore and then the Dublin Bay North TD, Keanu O'Callaghan, and of course already the Dublin Central uh, TD, Jerry Gannon, he had ruled himself out and of course Social Democrats they only have six mem- six TDs in the door so that let the way right right open for her, Holly Carnes to be the new leader and she will be now unopposed and of course this follows the co-leaders Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shortall they both announced that they were stepping down and they have been in that position for I think about the last eight years but Holly Carnes now will be taking over for the Social uh, Democrats and at 33 she will be become the youngest party leader in the uh, Dáil. She also, of course, is a first-time uh, TD. 
But since she got elected to the doll, she has, as all of the commentators in the papers today, saying she's been very a very impressive speaker in the doll. She's been an excellent media performer since that uh, election in uh, 2020. And of course, it had only been the previous year that she'd been elected a councillor in Cork County Council. And we'll all remember that particular count because she won that seat by one vote. And then little did she know that the following year on her very first attempt to run for Dáil Éireann that she would also uh, get elected and of course back in 2020 when she was elected to Dáil Éireann she was the only female TD to be returned for the for any constituency in Cork in the last general election so not only the first you know, getting a seat first time out, but also had uh, was also standing out because when you look at all of the constituencies across Cork, she was the only female to be elected in 2020. Now, she has has a lot of a profile, not just here in Cork. She's gained a lot of profile nationwide uh, as well, you know, because of a lot of things that a lot of different issues that she has been addressing and has addressed them, I think, with a lot of uh, compassion. She's been particularly good on the mother and baby uh, homes. And she, you know, as I say, she's got compassion and empathy about her uh, as well. And of course, recently she spoke out about the abuse she had received and not just her, other politicians as well, but especially female politicians. And then, of course, she had a persistent online uh, stalker uh, who then took it one step too far because the stalker began to show up at her home. And she was very open uh, in talking about that. Now, she did issue a statement yesterday evening. And Holly said, first of all, that she was very grateful for the support of her colleagues within the parliamentary party and the members of the Social Democrats all over the country. And she said that she's been blown away by the kind messages coming in from everywhere. She says this. This was a very big decision and she says I'm under no illusion about the challenges that lie ahead but she said I am hugely ambitious for the future of the Social Democrats and I'm determined to build on the excellent foundation that has been laid by both Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shortall. She said she would set out her vision for the party when she officially becomes leader on uh, Wednesday and I don't think anyone is taking including uh, Holly herself that she will face significant challenges, particularly as the party will first have to prepare for local elections but then will have to prepare for the next uh, general uh, election and I mean the Social Democrats, they had just 2% nationally in last week's Irish Times Ipsos uh, opinion poll and that actually, that result would be a worry, will be a worry for Holly and the other uh, Sock Dems because that was a, actually a decline of one point uh, since uh, October. There's been lots of speculation, lots of uh, talks about a possible merger or an alliance with uh, the Labour Party. And when we do get to talk to Holly Kearns, I will be interested in that. And does she have a theory about a possible merger, about a possible alliance with the Labour Party? I know certainly to date, all the members of the Social Democrats have said no they've totally uh, rebuffed that suggestion that they're anyway considering aligning themselves with the uh, Labour Party. Now we did reach out to uh, Holly yesterday as I imagine uh, did every political journalist uh, all over the country to see would she be available to talk to us today. Now she got back to John Paul but said not in a position yet uh, to talk. I mean let's wait until she is officially in which happens on Wednesday so we're going to reach out again to her but she has promised that she will come back and uh, chat with us 
about her dreams, about her plans, about her ambitions and the very significant challenges she now faces. As I say, she will she is the youngest. She will become on Wednesday the youngest party leader in the uh, Dáil. But we wish uh, Deputy Holly Kearns from Cork Southwest all the best. 0818103103. Your thoughts and comments welcomed this morning. David's in uh, Clonakilty uh, commenting on Holly Kearns, who's now becoming the new leader of the Social Democrats. He says if nothing else that is going to make the next general election in Cork Southwest a very interesting one indeed says David. Also we've got local elections next year. He said surely having the leader of the Social Democrats in uh, Cork they will run more candidates but will it transfer into council seats? Only time will tell but yes certainly the next general election in Cork Southwest where Holly Kearns was elected first time out in 2020 is going to be one of those constituencies I think that the whole country is going to be uh, looking at because of course it is a constituency that uh, Fine Gael lost a seat and failed to, I think in 60 years they failed to uh, hold on to one of their seats and so they're going to be uh, pushing hard Fianna Fáil will want to be pushing hard very strong independent in that seat with uh, Michael Collins and now you're going to have the leader of the Social Democrats and of course as we know the Sinn Féin party all over uh, the country are uh, really pushing and are, if you look at any of the opinion polls uh, they are doing extremely well in the opinion polls if they, that transfers into votes as well. It is going to be a real dog fight for sure. Thank you for your call, uh, David, to 0818 103 103. And Mike in Bantry has been on to us by uh, text. Uh, he is this morning thinking of boy racers and they seem to be driving Mike in Bantry absolutely nuts. He wants to know how are these boy racers getting away with it out on the roads, raving in their cars, doing uh, donuts always of course happens says Mike late at night Mike says if it was you or I Patricia we wouldn't get away with it and actually it's funny you should mention those you know, and you'll see the donut you'll see the circle on the road where they leave part of the tyre behind them I actually was driving to work uh, this morning and I on a stretch of road um, it, it's um, coming out of Mallow um, heading out here to the radio station what's known as the Old Cork Road there was a donut on the road I was thinking God are they doing donuts here now maybe it was a car that had had some way skid or something I don't know because I certainly hadn't noticed it before but yes you go on certain roads and any time I visit West Cork I'm always wondering how they get away with the amount of donuts you'll see on the road I'm assuming the Gardaí will say by the time they get there they're long gone even if people report them but there's from what I've noticed whenever you see these donuts on the road and I imagine Mike and Bantry will back me up on this. There are certain roads that they always seem to pick on to do these young people gathering, you know, deciding to do whatever tricks they do in their car that make these uh, donuts. And God knows how some of them uh, don't get killed. I don't know because the speeds that they must be, uh, the, the speed they must be doing, that surely the Gardaí know the roads, you know, could they be, do they, do they look out for them? Do they try and move them on? I mean, I'm sure they do if they get enough complaints. But if you're living in an area and you're constantly hearing cars revving and cars doing these donuts. It's very, very annoying for people who have to live in that area when it's happening late at night and you're trying to get to sleep or you're trying to get children to sleep. Frustrating for sure, Mike. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See mig.ie. Now last week, 
week, the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Disability Matters published its report on aligning disability services with the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Cork and North Westall Deputy Michael Moynihan is chair of that committee and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. And, and you're very welcome. I suppose in short a form as possible, can you just explain briefly uh, to listeners what is contained in that UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities? It is an overarching, it's an agreement at the UN, I suppose, level of what is the right of people with disabilities, how people with disabilities should be integrated and treated within society and how the services are there. It is, I suppose, an international agreement on the rights of people with disabilities. I suppose that's as simple language as you can possibly put it. It's a very detailed document, but it is on the rights of people with disabilities and how they should be treated within society. And I suppose over the years, how the attitude to people with disabilities has to change. And I believe it is changing, but we have quite a substantial way to go yet. OK, and, and you looked, in, in your committee, you looked at uh, where we are, we're falling down in, in this country. And, well, and, and I want to talk about some of the different aspects of your report. For example, talk to me a little bit about access to health services for somebody with a disability. Well, you see, I suppose we went through it from the, the disabled person's point of view, from their families and from their communities and their carers. And we asked all of them to come before our committee uh, on a weekly basis and to hear the evidence, to hear their lived experience. And certainly it was very challenging because we were hearing horror stories and difficulties and challenges. And the health service, you know, there is over the years, I suppose, that what was developed was a medical model of disabilities, providing medical model or medical care and forgetting about the social care of a person with disabilities. Now the evidence is that it has to be a fully, a full, I suppose, person-centred care for a person with disability or provision for a person with disability and integration more into society. We have looked at uh, people with disabilities sometimes, they can't get the real care that they need the medical care that they need or the indeed the social care that they need. We found huge gaps in the systems and I'd have to pay tribute to the people with disabilities and the families who came before us and told us their true story. They told us their family circumstances and I suppose their personal stories as well. And that's not always easy in a public forum, but they did go through that and we did find that there was a huge gap in terms of the unmet need and the challenges that are there for people with disabilities within our society. And and this, Michael, is an issue really that affects all of us because none of us know when any one of ourselves will acquire a disability or a family member will acquire a disability. Absolutely. And, you know, even last week at the launch of it, there were people there who had acquired disabilities where it was to road traffic accidents or strokes or, 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 or other issues that was an acquired disability and not a disability that they would have had from birth but a disability that they would have acquired. So I suppose certainly we never know who or whether a member of our family would have a disability and would need care. And I think it beholds all of us. You know, over the last 50 years, 
a lot of the service providers would have developed from the community up mm. rather than from the state, would have developed from the community up. And there was an awful lot of, of great people that developed those services, the least and the best of the country, and they provided as best they could. Now it is time to take it to the next level. The UNCRPD is certainly the, I suppose, the target that we want to reach, that what we need to make sure that we are fulfilling our duty, and that's the primary responsibility of our committee to make sure that we are reaching those targets. But in looking at the disability services currently, there's a huge amount of gaps in it. I suppose when this government was formed, it was a commitment given that the uh, disabilities would be moved from the Department of Health into the Department of Equality and Disability. But it has taken two and a half years. With the best will in the world, that is now happening on Wednesday next, on the 1st of March, to move it from one department to another. And I think this is a great move. I think that it is standalone and that there will be a minister in a cabinet level that will be dealing with disabilities in the headline of, of uh, their department. And I think that is very welcome because it gives a sense of that the priority within government. But it is slow progress to try and get uh, you know, to, to advance, uh, um, I suppose, the, the, the overarching of how we manage uh, disability services and how we provide for disability services. I suppose uh, the other things that did come, and I always go back to the issue in, in, in terms of attitude, I think that there's a huge learning within society, but there's also an attitude within the state services. Uh, some of the issues, I suppose, court cases we've seen, and it's, sometimes it's difficult to call it all the evidence that's there in terms of families that would have to go and take the HSE to court for services and uh, challenge them in relation to their care. But families do have to do that to try and get the best care for their loved ones or indeed the person with a disability. That should not be the case. You know, it shouldn't be that you have to go. And, and they seem to be, when because a lot of those cases get, you know, a lot of media attention. And when you, you speak with the parents, they had to fight at every single turn. Ab- absolutely. And they're, they're worn out from constantly fighting. And we would have to pay tribute enormously to them because they are challenging us. They're challenging society. But the... I suppose the personal toll on them to have to take all of that to court case, to the steps of the court before they get a service, it does take an enormous toll on parents, on people. But we shouldn't have to, you know, that there needs to be a, a better way of uh, resolving the issues. And I suppose... Than ending know, up in the courts. And also, do you have sympathy for parents who end up having to set up like either advocacy groups or end up having to tell their stories to the media in order, in order to raise uh, awareness uh, of, of a particular service that's lacking in their area? I mean, that's not good enough. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think, and I, many parents came before us and, and groups, you know, like um, parents from Cavan that set up their own disability reform group uh, people were looking at parents uh, groups that are advocating on behalf of better services and they put their their body and soul into trying to advance the services and we owe an awful debt of gratitude to them for doing so but that should not be the case because the services should be there and our committee has been charged with making the lives of people with disabilities better for their families and their communities and we're going to constantly raise the issues some people might be saying that we're giving too much. Uh, to, we're not. We could never do that. We could never be giving enough airtime to people with disabilities because the services are in crisis. 
the, the there's been a whole pile of funding put in over the last two or three years in terms of of bringing the services back up to where they were or where they should be. But there's more that needs to be done. You know, even last week in terms of recruitment of, of uh, particularly OT and speech and language therapists, you know, we need to start at the very basic there and go prior to leaving SAR to engage with kids and engage with people that are doing their second level education to encourage them in and in colleges to make the courses more available and train more people and then make sure that they are retained within the Irish uh, disability services. That's hugely important. And, of course, we have the pay parity between Section 38, Section 39 organisations and the HSE, and that is also causing difficulties. Uh, I suppose there is uh, the, um, the HSE think that when you have an assessment of need done for kids with additional needs, like that they have done their work, but that's only giving that's only writing the prescription, then we have to make sure that the services are provided after that. And many families who would contact your program and contact me, you know, they are uh, not getting the services that they want for early intervention. And they're scraping to try and do it privately in some cases. And in some cases, they just don't have the wherewithal to do that. But these services are not available to them. And some people within the age, you know, would have worked within the public service and have gone away and gone out into private practice, which is a reversal of what normally happens when people work in private practice and then they go into the state services. And that is a challenge. Uh, you know, we also looked in the report in relation to people, individuals making decisions for themselves, giving them autonomy to make decisions for themselves insofar as is possible. That is hugely important that everybody is given the right to have a I suppose, their own autonomy, but also that they're able to make decisions, you know, with the advice of people with, uh, you know, the, their carers, their families, and uh, indeed the wider service. But what we found, I suppose, in an overall sense was there is a crisis within the disability services. Is there it is particularly acute in adult services? In adult services, uh, you know, I think in adult services, in adult respite, it is there is a huge challenge there. And also, you know, some organisations are developing, um, you know, I, I speak of, of social farming, Kerry Social Farming, who I spoke at their annual uh, general meeting there recently. They have developed a very good model in terms of bringing people in, giving them a sense of self-worth. But in adult services, you know, it, there is a huge gap, a huge gap in trying to make sure that people, when they leave school, when they leave the education system at 18, that they have uh, somewhere to go and a role that can be found for them and a sense of betterment or a sense of fulfilment in their lives. You know, I go back to the Maslow theory, which was uh, written in the early 1940s. You know, it, the, the bottom tier is just bread and butter and care for people. But there is on the pyramid as you go up, up to the fifth level, you have to ensure that the people get a sense of, of belonging, a sense of self-worth, a sense that they're integrated into their community, into their society, or in, and given a sense of self-worth. And every human being deserves Deserve. that. Absolutely. Every, Absolutely. Every, so what, what happens now with this, with this report? Do you present well, this to government or present, what happens? We present, we present this to government. Uh, I suppose we are very 
work very uh, closely with the Minister for uh, Disabilities, who I have to say is very energetic about the issues and is, you know, willing to push on even a number of issues there that we raised. You know, anomalies within the system. Uh, last week, we had an issue in relation to uh, the um, uh, breakfast clubs or the money for hot meals for schools. They were given to DISH pro- schools, the schools that were on the DISH programme. But for some unknown reason, the, the special schools, of which there's only 131 in the country, were excluded from those hot meals. We did have a meeting with her and uh, with officials from the Holy Family School in Charleville and others recently, and we got that done last week. So she is engaging with us in terms of how we... But it's piece by piece, you know, it's small piece by small piece. But I think whole of government has to look at this report. It is as encompassing as we possibly can because we're setting out where the services are at right now and what needs to be done. Okay. And, and, and I know a huge, huge amount of work has, has gone into it. So well done to you and the uh, the rest of the uh, committee members. But we leave it there. No doubt it's an issue we will return to, uh, Michael. But in the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. That is uh, Cork Northwest uh, Dáil Deputy Michael Moynihan, who is also chair of the uh, Joint Directors Committee on Disability Matters. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. Text WhatsApps 0862 now, earlier this year, the national minimum wage rose to €11.30 an hour, but that figure is only for workers over the age of 20. The retail union mandate has called for the abolition of these sub-minimum rates, with a call on the government to scrap what many see as an outdated pay rate. John O'Donnell is Industrial Officer and a member of Mandate's Youth Committee. And John joins me this morning. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. I suppose for those not aware of this, can you just outline what are the hourly minimum rates for workers who happen to be under the age of 20? Absolutely. So if you're, if you're currently under 18 you're paid seven ninety one an hour, which is 70% of national minimum wage. If you're 18 years old, you're paid nine oh four an hour, which would be 80%. And when you're 19, you're paid ten seventeen, which would be 90% of minimum wage. And what has been the reason for a lower level of pay for under 20s? Is it that the Bank of, of Mum and Dad will help them out? Well, that's the, that's the common misconception, Patricia. And what it is, is a lot of people believe that their incomes can be subsidised by their parents. But however, the reality is often quite different with many younger workers making an important contribution to the family income if they're at home or if they're away from home and they're using their wages to pay the exact same bills as the rest of us. Yeah, I'm thinking, I mean, under the age of 20, you're going to have a lot of the, the students will who, and many, many students who go on to third level education have no choice but to take a part-time job to supplement their, their, their time in college. And there, let's be honest, there are also people who left school and have gone straight into the workforce. 100%. And if, if you were speaking about specialised areas, that's a completely different argument. But we're speaking about people going in doing the exact same job and getting paid less for the exact same work as their other colleagues. And to be honest, we believe in mandate that it's highly discriminatory and disrespectful to those young workers. 
So, and, and, and re- you're representing retail workers in particular. So you're saying you'll have retail workers working side by side, doing exactly the same work, doing exactly the same amount of hours. But you'll have one because they happen to be 21 and one happens to be 19. And there's, the reality is one will be getting 30% less than the other. 100%, yeah. yeah. And there isn't, I'm, we're talking no difference whatsoever in the work. They'll either be stacking shelves, taking in deliveries, serving customers on the till, exact same duties. I wonder does it cause any animosity within the workplace if you've got somebody who's slightly slacking off and you've got a younger worker thinking, I'm working really hard and that mate is getting paid more than me. Well, we, we, say, we hear some of our younger members say it. I mean, we're working extremely closely with the, with the ISSU on this on this campaign, which will be the secondary school students doing it, and a lot of them have faced it. And they say it, to them it's completely exploitative and discriminatory, and it fills them with frustration. I mean, th- these are some of their first jobs, their, their first experience in the workforce, and they're saying, is it worth it for me? I'm already being discriminated against because of my age. Is a lower rate of pay for younger workers common in other EU countries, John? No, not as all most other EU countries pay the minimum wage is the minimum wage. There is no such thing as a sub-minimum wage. Ireland is behind the ball with us. I know the Low Pay Commission. I mean, they've they're doing research in this in this issue. Are they due to report soon? The Low Pay Commission would have the last report we would have received from the Low Pay Commission would have given us our instructions on how we lodge pay claims. We normally get updates every three months from the Low Pay Commission on, on where everything stands. Yeah. I, I mean, even looking at the, the minimum, the minimum uh, rate of pay, the, what is it, 11, 11, euro, 13, 11 yeah. an hour. I mean, God, because you, I'm just thinking, you know, cost of living, when I was out shopping at the weekend, it struck me, like everything seems to be gone up uh, again. If you're working and working hard and even taking home that €11.30 Euro 30 a, an hour, it, God, it must be just impossible uh, to live. Didn't the, what, didn't the government last year speak about a, a living wage? But, they have. But, but I, was, it, is it 2026 they're talking about? Yes. So it's between now and 2026. So like, And they've said that. So the rate that they've established now, that will continue going up with the with rise of inflation throughout the year. So by the time we even hit 2026, their projected uh, living wage won't be anywhere near what it's necessary to be. Where is the living wage at the moment? How much? The living wage at the moment is near 15 euro. Near 15 euro, okay. Because I I did see, was it Lidl have agreed to pay their staff a living wage from the 1st of March? So there's one employer group that has decided we're actually not paying enough by just paying the minimum wage. Absolutely. We've seen more and more of uh, retailers looking to say no, no. So from our standpoint, unfortunately, they use it as a tool to keep the unions out. While you may pay the living wage, their other conditions mightn't line up with that, but at least they're all right with the pay piece. Like, we've already established, if you don't make, or if you don't work a minimum of 30 hours a week, the living wage actually won't do much for you. So that's why, as well, when we're looking at this, um, we just released a report called the Smoke and Mirrors Report. We commissioned Dr. Conor McCabe to do it first. And it actually shows that nearly 75% of retail workers make less than 26000 a year. 
and some of those workers are actually making above the minimum wage or the living wage but the issue is is their contracted hours don't match yeah if if you were working full time you're okay yeah. but it's yes, a lot yeah. of people in 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 retail and let's not ever take away or forget john that throughout all of the pandemic throughout all of the lockdowns the majority of those retail workers were the were the ones who kept us all going 100% and that's why one of the main reasons why I'm so passionate about it is I was a retail worker for 14 and a half years before I became an official with Mandate. I worked in Merck and Spencer's and I worked through the pandemic and I was one of those so I mean I literally why I'm so passionate about this is I was I've stood side by side with all those people. Hmm. And could employers be doing more? I mean, when, when the government talk about a minimum wage, that's the recommended. You can't pay anything below that. Yes. Could they be paying more? I, I believe so. Now, you, you, there will be arguments and you will have employers saying, no, we can because we're a small business. And stuff like that. But every situation needs to be analysed on a case-by-case basis. We have multinationals that could absolutely be paying the, the living wage. Some smaller business, maybe, maybe not. But as I said, we when we sit down with employers, that's what we look at. And when I have I've spoken with on many occasions with um, uh, uh, Father Sean Healy of Social Justice Ireland, who I think was probably one of the first to ever coin that phrase, uh, the working poor, and he coined it many, many years ago. But we have so many people now because of the rising cost of everything. People who are going out to work working every day but if they're on a low wage they are the working poor they absolutely are and what you're seeing more and more is unfortunately is it's food poverty it's people are having to make choices is it okay i can either pay for food or do i pay to keep the heating on in the house people are having to make these tough decisions because of the state of the rates of pay in this country but sure, I've, I've spoken to people who run food banks. They've, they have never been as busy and they're yeah. seeing people that they have never seen before. I spoke with Bernardo's a number of weeks ago who, who had parents who say they are going hungry in order to feed their children yeah, because sure. they literally yeah. don't have enough food. And in many cases, these are people that are working. 100%. And, and in a lot of cases, they're, it's they maybe what the government will class as two income families. But the fact of the matter is the money they are making isn't making up a single income. Okay, so we need, you would say, John, that this sub-minimum wage for under 20-year-olds simply needs to be abolished. And would you say everybody needs to be put on the minimum wage? At the very least. What we in Mandate believe is that everybody should be on the living wage. So as what we're doing at the minute with all the employers that we're negotiating with is we're negotiating to get them to the living wage or at the living wage is at least your start point. And if we wait for the living wage to be introduced as the government reckoned by 2026, should the living wage will be way more than what it's currently set yeah, out. If yeah. it continues to rate, we're going yeah, down it's probably sit around 18 euro. Yeah, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Yeah. All right, listen, uh, John, we need... We leave it there. Thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the no programme problem, this morning. Thank you for having us. Uh, Thank good, you. good morning to you. That is uh, John O'Donnell who is Industrial Officer, uh, Organiser and Member with the Mandate Youth Committee. As I say, unless you have somebody in your household under the age of 20 or you are under the age of 20, a lot of people will be unaware that there's a different 
level of pay for under 20 year olds as opposed to over 20 year olds when it comes to the, the minimum wage and it actually staggers down depending on the age to somebody is 19 or, or 18 uh, that sets the rate of pay, even though they'll do the very same work as anybody else. We're talking about low wages and particularly low wages in retail and the fact that younger people, people under 20, get paid a lower minimum wage than somebody over 20. A number of people are pointing out the wages are one issue, i.e. the minimum wage set at a particular price. But I work in uh, retail and I think, says this listener, that it's the zero hours contract that is a much bigger issue rather than the level of pay you might get 10 hours of work one week 20 hours the next it simply isn't fair then you have to deal with social welfare and that's another big issue and someone else uh, Jim says a friend who uh, worked with one of the major retailers and even though uh, the pay was good was on a, a living wage he left because he couldn't get the adequate hours and we're back again to these zero hour contracts and maybe the unions with the unions that are involved and maybe they're looking at this the wrong way rather than it being how much per, a person is getting paid per hour. It's all well and good to say you're going to be getting, say, it's 15 euros uh, an hour. But as that lister says, if they're only giving you 10 hours of work uh, one week because of these zero hour contracts and they can decide how much work you're going to get you're obviously going to come out with a much lower um, pay rate of pay uh, that week and yeah I can imagine the nightmare then of in and out to social welfare trying to work out what hours you worked and what hours you didn't work so a number of people pointing out it is the zero hour contracts that we need to be talking about and focusing on. Thank you for your uh, text to 0862 103 103 We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The text in from a care assistant. I work with a private company. Would you believe we still haven't received our pandemic bonus payment? Yes, yet. I'm just checking in. Do you know, have you any update for us? Oh, listen, we are we have dealt with this issue so many times since that pandemic bonus was first announced now over a year ago. And I remember when we were talking about it's six months since the announcement is made. It's nine months since we made the announcement was made. We were coming up to the first anniversary of the announcement being made and we were still getting texts in like that from people saying, I'm due the money, still haven't received the €1,000 pandemic uh, bonus. The year has gone by and there you go, we still have uh, people waiting. The only advice that we've been giving of late, because we know it's a company in Northern Ireland that's running it now for the HSC and they don't deal with individuals, they'll only deal with the company that you're working for, so get back on to your employer uh, to make sure that your employer has updated all of the information that they uh, require but we are still hearing of people who are still waiting so you're certainly not on your own not that that will give you much comfort 0818103103 on Holly Kearns what we mentioned at the top of the programme is now going to on Wednesday become the new leader of the Social Democrats a relatively new uh, party and of course Holly herself relatively new to politics in that she was only elected for the first time in 2020. So she's had a great rise in her short political career so far. Michael in Castletown Bear says, Hi Patricia, every good luck to Deputy Holly Kearns as she takes on this role of 
the leader of the Social Democrats party. She will be well able and she'll shine a bright new light over Cork Southwest into the future. Just on a point of order, says Michael. Dick Spring was 32 when he was elected leader of the Labour Party. He was born of August of 1950 and he took over as leader of the Labour Party at the age of 32 in 1982. Speaks for itself. Yes, Holly Kearns, born 1989 becomes leader in 2023. And I did mention that she will be, when she gets uh, elected on Wednesday, she will be the youngest leader at the moment in Irish politics. 0818 103 103. And then a number of people contacting us about our chat on the minimum wage and this. There is a set minimum wage, but then there is a lower pay scale if you're under the age of uh, 20. Audrey says, Patricia, I know somebody working full-time, has been working full-time for years, now in their late 50s, they're still on the minimum uh, wage and they get paid the very same rate as part-timers in their early 20s doing the same job. I don't think, says Audrey, that that is very fair on somebody who has been more... And I don't know when you say they're working full-time with many years, are they working with the same company full-time for many years? You would, you would have assumed at this stage that they would have got some kind of a pay rise the longer that they are with the company. But if you're saying that that's not the case, that is that is kind of hard to take for sure. Patton from Oise says, I've often heard you mention and, and heard talk of the minimum wage at €11.30 and it only went up to €11.30, Pat, at the start of this year. But to hear in your programme today that there's a sub-minimum wage, Pat said, wasn't aware of that. I think it's very unfair. I feel if a business cannot at least pay the minimum wage of €11.30 an hour for staff, then maybe they shouldn't be in business at all. Annette is in McCroom and she said many people on that sub-minimum wage that you're talking about are funding themselves through a third level education in college or university so they very much need the money from their part-time job. You even will have some students who are funding their way through Leaving Cert especially with the cost of books and everything going up. Families are under pressure and many young people uh, while still at school go out and get a part-time job and they are the, the exact ones they were talking about that would be on this sub-minimum wage. Gary said, mandate who you spoke with are making out employers are vindicating employees but from an employer's point of view many employees don't want to work all the hours that are uh, available. First of all, you'll hear some of them only want to work, say, 10 hours or 19 hours because they don't want to go over the threshold that will interfere with the benefits that they're getting from the government. Then you have employees who will leave work during working hours to collect children, mainly because they've no choice. Their partner might also be working. So it's not the employers who are to blame here. It's the system is all wrong. There are plenty of hours out there, but benefits in some cases are preventing people from working the extra hours. And we did hear that from somebody who's on, who'd, who'd love to be working extra hours, but is on this the zero hours contract and where they're getting 10 hours one week and 20 hours uh, the next week and then having to deal with social welfare for the week while I only work 10 hours that week. Oh yeah, and I'm working 20 hours uh, next week and that can become a bit of a nightmare. So that system looks like it needs to be worked at and maybe adapted somehow to make it easier and to make it that easier for people who want to work those extra hours and that their benefits are not going to be uh, affected because the last thing you want is for somebody to increase their hours only to discover with, when they lose certain benefits that they're going to be worse off by working extra hours. It's very understandable why somebody wouldn't sign up for that. 0818 103 103 and then Emma contacting us 
she doesn't want to say where she is living, but just to say that she is living in a county town here in Cork. She's renting privately and has been renting privately for the last eight years. Very happy in the house they are in. She lives with her husband and they have children. But she says certainly in the last six months, she now finds herself living in constant fear that her landlady might decide to sell the property. And she's wondering, is she the only one that lives with this constant state of fear? She said there's nothing suitable to rent locally. And she said, in case you're wondering why, she's checking it almost on a daily basis for fear that the landlady arrives and says, I'm going to sell uh, the property and she will have to uh, leave. Uh, So because of that, she's keeping an eye on what rental properties are available locally. She's children going to school. So obviously, if she was asked to leave this property, she wants to stay in that area. And it just struck me, I mean, to, you know, to to see that in um, Emma's email that she's living in this constant fear. She says, for example, it's causing her sleepless nights worrying about getting a call from the landlady and she said any time the phone rings and it is the landlady who she said by the way she's a lovely landlady and uh, hasn't indicated in any way that she is going to is going to sell the property but she's just fearful that she might one day decide to do it and she said whenever her landlady's number appears on the phone she said she's almost holding her breath as she goes to answer it and it's just that really is no way to live and Emma's just wondering is she on her own is she being is she over worrying about this but just when you're hearing everything with homelessness I suppose and people trying to find a suitable property particularly when it's a family with uh, children I I can absolutely 100% I can understand uh, your fears but it certainly is no way uh, to live and actually there are and I don't think Emma I really don't think you're on your own I imagine there's a lot of other people in the same situation of course there's also a cohort of people who have an eviction hanging over their head but because the eviction ban is in place they are remaining with a roof over their head and I was reading in the papers this morning before I came on air that the Housing Minister Dara O'Brien is expected to bring proposals on the eviction ban now that eviction ban ends by the way at the end of March we've got the start of March coming up this week so the 31st of March that is due to end so Dara O'Brien is going to bring proposals to the Cabinet in the coming weeks but I know the Social Protection Minister Heather Humphreys she said that no decision has been made one way or the other government sources are saying that a decision will be made before St Patrick's Day but like St Patrick's Day is the 17th of March with this eviction ban due to kick in on the 31st of March people need peace of mind and people need to know like now it's not in Emma's case at the moment but there are people who have this eviction hanging over their heads they haven't been asked to leave the property because the eviction ban is in place so they need to know and they certainly need to know two weeks before that kicks in on the 31st of March I think leaving it until close to St Patrick's Day really isn't um, good enough still no indication at this stage as to whether the ban is going to be extended or not but you'll have another co to people saying even with the the eviction ban in place it really isn't working and isn't working as it was intended to work because only last Friday we had the latest homeless figures they came out for the month of January and another new record was set. By the end of January, 11,754 people are deemed homeless. These are people who are in the main living in emergency accommodation. They're not factoring in people that are couch uh, surfacing. And I don't know if they factor in rough sleepers uh, either. I think it's mainly the people that are living in families trying to cope living in hotels. Now, Heather Humphreys was speaking on the weekend politics at the weekend and she said that Darrow O'Brien 
is now consulting with the Attorney General on uh, the issue. But she says that the ban hasn't worked and she says the issue is and has always been supply and then, you know, she did the usual, went on to say, look, 2022 was encouraging. There was 30,000 new houses came on stream. That was a 40% increase on the previous year and that certainly is good news for the 30,000 families who were homed but not for the people that are currently living in in, in hotels trying to raise uh, families. Heather Humphreys says that a balance needs to be found to keep landlords in the market and to protect renters and I think that's really because if we found some balance it might give Emma a bit of peace of mind if she knew that her landlord felt more comfortable now that they were in the private rental market but so many landlords are talking about getting out because they say they're tied up in red tape and they say with all the taxation they have to pay that it's not worth their while to remain in the private rented sector and that's what puts Emma waking up at night fearful that the landlady is going to ask her to uh, leave. Sinn Féin's Ono Brin said that the eviction ban was not a solution in itself but they are pushing for it to be extended because they're saying look it'll give the government a little bit of breathing space. Sinn Féin are saying the government must use that time then to take the emergency action needed to address the uh, crisis and something needs to be done. I mean certainly uh, good news that there was 30,000 new houses last year but there certainly isn't enough and then you add into that on top of the Irish people looking for homes you've got the Ukrainian uh, refugees there's certainly going to be a crisis happening there because a number of the hotel contracts that have been housing both Ukrainian refugees and the international uh, protection applicants many of them are moving out of that contract and deciding to go back into the hospitality sector and opening up for tourists. So there's going to be a huge issue there in trying to find find housing, not just for the Ukrainian uh, refugees, but also for, we already have a number of them sleeping homeless, the ones who are coming here looking for refugee uh, status because there literally is no room at the inn. So yeah, housing crisis uh, certainly very much there. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. The Kerry Group, they are offering 50 job opportunities in the Charleville area. Now, training will be provided and you get more information by visiting jobs.kerry.com. Blackpool Veterinary Clinic in Canturk are looking for a full-time receptionist. 086-165-3030. A builder's assistant is wanted for work in the Mitchellstown Rathcormac Watergrass Hill areas own transport essential call or WhatsApp 086 87 Munster Labels in Mallow they're expanding their operation and they require an energetic and enthusiastic machine operator a full training will be provided CVs please to jobs at munsterlabels.com you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. My next guest is an award-winning journalist who over 10 years ago, along with her husband and two small boys, decided to leave their very successful lives in Dublin behind and move back to her native home county of Donegal. Finding My Wind is an unflinching memoir that looks at love, 
pregnancy loss, mothering and identity. But more than anything, it is a book of hope. And Cathy Donaghy joins me to talk about her new book, Finding My Wild. Uh, good morning to, I think I said wind earlier on, Finding My Wild. <laughs> <laughs> good morning to Cathy. Yeah, Sorry, good nice morning. And I, I, have the book here, I have the book here as well. So did I just say wind instead of wild? My apologies. <laughs> Firstly, your, your book, are you, I'm very well, thank you. Your book yes. is just so beautifully written. So well done to you, first of all, on, uh, on that. Thank you. But I suppose in order for you to tell your story, I need to take you back to your childhood. And that kind of explains your drawback to County, uh, to County Donegal. It sounds mm. idyllic, the childhood you had. Yeah, you know, I, I suppose I feel really lucky when I think back, when I think back to it, Patricia, and I, I suppose like I grew up, you know, in the 1980s when maybe, you know, you were you, you were sort of left to your own devices. There were no devices like our kids have now. So you literally were outside. I spent my childhood outdoors. Um, if I wasn't outdoors, I had my head stuck in a book, but I lived beside the, the seashore. And um, yeah, so I, I spent a large part of it there, you know, exploring in rock pools, literally digging in the sand, just looking at the ocean or in the woods. In the wild places was kind of where I found myself a lot and where I was really drawn to. And that was like, I suppose as an adult, I've, I've I've drawn great strength from it but as a child I don't know why I suppose I found myself drawn to them to those places but they were right on my doorstep so they definitely filled my childhood I suppose they filled my senses as well and they were a great place for your imagination Mm. to to roam to roam free and and I, I sort of always knew I wanted to do something with my life that was writing in some shape or form. So I think the wild places, they really did fill my imagination. They filled my senses. It's so beautiful. The blue and the green spaces that I had in abundance as a child definitely gave me a deep reservoir, I think, to draw from when I moved into adulthood and, and, and did want to write for a living, you know. And before you even had your boys, did you mm. always want a similar childhood for your own children to the one that you had? Was that something that was always there in the back of your mind? You know, Patrice, this is a, this is a funny one, especially given the journey that I had um, with, with, with you know, the, the book goes into that a little bit about my own experiences of, of pregnancy loss. And uh, I wasn't one of these women who was born knowing she wants to be a mother. I, I, I didn't know that about myself forever. You know, I, I really didn't. I was in my... I was well into my 30s before I felt the sort of the stirrings of longing for a child. So I guess it was only when they were born, I could say that, yeah, I I definitely want their childhood to be informed in much the same way that mine and my husband's was by the wild places, by being able to roam free, by having places to stretch and and move and the countryside to inform their lives. But I I don't think that I was one of these people who just woke up and knew from from a very early age she wanted to be a mother I kind of struggled with it a bit because you know I was I I had given myself to a career where I was sort of you know it was hard to step off that that roller coaster if you like Mm. um but but by the time I suppose I did feel the longing for for you know our own family and I suppose it was always there in the back of my head somewhere that I would wanted but I didn't know when exactly that time would be um then when they came along it was yeah I think the 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 writing was on the wall in terms of our lives in Dublin in the city that was that was definitely sort of I'd fallen out of love with it for myself a little bit and I definitely wanted 
more of the outdoors in their life to inform their childhoods very much so yes Can, can I also point out that you, you write in your book about the early days of motherhood with such great mm. honesty and I was reading it thinking that every single antenatal class in the country should hand out a copy of what you have to say about early motherhood because we're very tough on ourselves to be that perfect mother and particularly today with all the Instagram photographs etc. We can be very tough on ourselves yeah I think I think you know you're right I think women in general are really tough on themselves and and social media can be a place where you're held up to scrutiny in every part of a woman's life but I think nowhere more so than motherhood where you feel like you're getting it wrong all of the time motherhood has become almost this really really deeply scrutinized place I would love I would I I knew that when I became a mother I I I didn't know how to do this but I I also knew that I I didn't see any ways to do it in the books that I was reading I wanted to throw them out I just said you know what I I just I don't know how this is gonna go but I have to do it my way and I think if every woman could just I mean I'm I'm 14 years um my my eldest son is, is coming 15 this year so I suppose I'm I'm a wee bit down the road from from the baby phase but you know you've got to trust yourself and not look over your shoulder at other people who you think are getting it so right you are the best person to mother your own child you know you've got well you got to trust that first well word and then just let the other stuff go yeah you know, well because, said you know we can beat ourselves up so much Patricia and it's toxic so then you and your and your husband made this big decision to give up this great life that you had in, in Dublin. And, and, you know, you say in the book, you know, people were talking about you as if you were absolutely nuts, giving up your great career. So but you, you, you decide to go to go back home for people thinking of such a move of that huge move going back to a town or a village. You don't immediately slot back in, do you? I mean, you're a different person from the one that left all those years ago, for example. I think that's very true, Patricia. You know, you think that because you're going back to a place <clears throat> that you know where you come from or that you think life is going to go a certain way, you know, it doesn't it, it doesn't go go like that. You know, I, I had left home when I was 17 years old. So I'm going back, you know, um, a mum, a wife, um, all of those years of experience that you've had away, living in a city, sort of loving my anonymity in many ways, coming back to a place where everybody knows you, not just you, they know your family. You're always your father and your mother's daughter. That's That's who you are, but you're not that person anymore. So I would just say, you know, the thing is, I use the analogy of, of the plant growing, right? Would you dig up a plant and expect it to thrive in new soil just as soon as you've set it? You wouldn't. And we're like that. We're not just going to put down our roots and thrive straight away. It's going to take like, you know, the plant needs sunshine and water. We need friendship. We need, we need you know, to be rooted. We need like maybe purpose in our lives. We need friends. We need lots of things that make us grow and develop and thrive. That does not happen overnight. It may take a few years years before you really feel I'm really thriving it took me years to thrive here I would say you know absolutely and and I'm from this place I I feel so this is my home place this is I know every every tree I know every blade of grass but that doesn't mean to say that you you know you slot back in where you left off it's uncomfortable for a good while so be gentle and give yourself time would be my best advice I'm really not good at giving advice (laughs) because I I always think everybody's got to find their own way but I would just say just be gentle with yourself don't expect it to happen overnight because it won't. And unfortunately for you, very soon after that move back to uh, to Donegal, you suffered your first miscarriage and that was quickly followed mm-hmm. by a second uh, miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. when you say to people, be gentle on yourself, you were yeah. very tough on yourself, Cathy. 
Yeah, yeah, I was, Patricia. I really was. And and um, I suppose with the benefit of hindsight, I would do a lot of things differently now if I had to go through them again. But isn't that life? Isn't that the lesson mm-hmm. that, you know, you gotta you got to learn these things? I was really tough on myself. I, I, I thought because I'd had two textbook pregnancies that came along at a time of my choosing. It sounds almost naive now because we know that when we roll that pregnancy dice, it doesn't always land where you want it to land. And it didn't. After, you know, the birth of my two boys, I suffered from recurrent miscarriage and it just felt like, one was more traumatic than the next and um you know it just it, it didn't seem to make any sense i thought what is wrong with me so as well as blaming myself for what had happened i thought there's some fault or flaw in me that that you know i'm not carrying these ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss these babies into the world where I wanted them to be in my arms and in my husband's arms and in the arms of their big brothers none of that was happening it wasn't going to plan so it was almost like I absolutely beat myself up so much and I think any woman who's experienced a miscarriage will identify with this you blame yourself and then comes the inevitable shame you run away from situations where you might see another woman who's pregnant social media becomes a hateful place you almost want to crawl back inside that shell of yourself because you're so afraid the world has become an unsteady place and you're so afraid of 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 letting anybody in there that you just hide you know so yeah for me those things happened in our early days in Donegal so it almost felt like not only have you you know uprooted yourself and your in your family this is this is all going horribly wrong you know so it was um yeah it was a tough it was a tough yeah and, and you know bless your heart it wasn't you didn't have any problems getting pregnant which some people do no. um, mm. and you kept getting pregnant because you were so desperate for this for this third uh, child you write really poignantly about the night you lost the identical Mm. twins that you were you were carrying can you talk about that yeah yeah yeah, Patricia it was it was um it was a strange one you know I had um I I had had 
it was going really well. I thought it was going really well. And we'd had a little holiday that 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 summer in France where we'd stayed with my sister-in-law and I felt them, you know, growing. I saw their little hearts beating and uh, it was a beautiful time. And I remember there was a period there where, you know, we went, we were in the car in the rented car and, and for, for a very short period of time, there were six of us in that car. And I was looking forward to all of it. I was looking forward to getting home and I was thinking about things like, oh, I need to change my car because I had a small car and I thought I'm going to need, you know, a bigger car with, with, <laughs> with four kids. And so I remember being home a little while and I was I was still feeling really well, still quite sick. And, you know, all the good pregnancy signs were going on. I remember being at a meeting. Um, a lo- it was just a local committee thing. And I was at, at a meeting that night. And after we had sort of done the talking bit was finished up, somebody produced the tea and scones. And I remember having a bite of the scone and going, mm, I don't feel sick anymore. I just don't feel something doesn't feel the same as it did. And I, I just was quiet then. I thought I, I don't quite trust. I, I suppose I felt I, I wasn't trusting very much at that point in, in pregnancy because things had gone wrong before. So I remember going home that night and going to bed early and I woke up in the middle of the night and um, it was just this feeling. I was like just the slightest hum in, in my head and it was just this just this frequency really really low level frequency of a leave taking and at that moment I just I just lay there awake and nothing on the surface was happening I was just lying in my bed but I knew that I knew that some part of their being was leaving me it was they were going and I just bore witness to it it was just profound and in a way that you know, my two boys came kicking and screaming into the world. This was this was as every bit as visceral in my head, as real as their births were to me. The the, the twins, they left me that night, and um, you know, a a scan, you know, 24 hours later showed that they did. And I remember the the doctor saying she couldn't quite believe it because everything had been going so well, and she said it, this happened really really recently. I said I could pinpoint the very minutes that it happened you know Goodness. so um it Goodness. was a really profound happening and I was so at the at the time I wasn't sad it was happening I was just I was just I just really I bore witness to it the sadness came afterwards of course and the rage and all the other feelings that the Go miscarriage brings but um at that moment yeah I knew they were leaving me and Cathy is it fair to say you never get over those losses you just learn to live with the losses yeah, I think that's it, you know, and, and there's a language that the people think, you know, it's a very, it's a difficult one. People don't know how to talk about miscarriage. It's, and sometimes they, they preface sentences when they're talking to, to you with, well, at least, at least you weren't further down the line, at least, at least, you know, I, I, I would say it's so hurtful to put it like that because you never, you don't, you don't ever get over it. I will never get over th- this happening. Um, and I do say that from the point of view as as a woman with two children and my miscarriages happened after I had my two boys. So I, I was in a way, they were my refuge, the rock that I clung to when I was really feeling hopeless about the world. But no, you don't get over it. And I, I you know, I longed to, to have these children in my lives. But, you know, you sort of the grief that you feel, you know, you move you move through the world in a different way. It, it, these experiences have taught me a lot about myself and my family and they've taught me a lot about empathy and about how you never know what's going on in someone's life no matter how it looks mm. and no I won't ever get over it because you don't but I've learned to live with what's happened and these things have become great teachers in my life you know and, and um, do you think as, as a society are we getting better at talking about miscarriages 
you know, sometimes I think we are. And then I hear when, you know, I, I hear what a woman will tell me the way, you know, a medic has spoken to her or the, a friend has spoken to her. And, you know, the thing is, Patricia, sadly, unless you've walked that walk, you just don't understand it, you know. And I would love to think that we are getting better. But sometimes, you know, you don't have to say anything at all. Sometimes just how are you and yeah. sitting with a person. You don't have to have the answer because sometimes we're we're really good at talking about things. We think we're really good at talking about things. But sometimes sitting and saying nothing and holding someone's hand or saying, can I make you a cup of tea? And if you want to cry, I'm just going to sit here and, and be with someone. So, yeah, in ways, I think part of our, our makeup is to talk. But sometimes, you know what, there's no words. And just sitting there and saying nothing and holding someone's hand until they want to speak is okay too, you know? Yeah, I had a, uh, one of my very good friends had a miscarriage. You know, this would, in fairness, it would have been back in the 90s, but the midwife mm. in the hospital said to her, oh, she, you have an angel now in heaven. And she said, I wanted to scream. I said, you've, yeah, you have an angel. She said, I didn't want an angel in heaven. I wanted a baby in my arms. She said, just, and this, oh, you're young enough, go away, you'll be fine. Mm. And, and husbands mm. and partners, I think, are often really forgotten about when mum mm. has a miscarriage. And I remember a number of years ago interviewing a man who was talking about his wife's his wife's miscarriages and he said that when he went into work everyone was saying you know and how's Jenny how's Jenny and he said nobody yeah. said and how are you and you talk yeah. about that in the book with your own husband Richard like he really mm. battled as well mm, yeah he did and you know I suppose in a way when I look back I think I was so caught up in my own grief, but also in my own blaming of myself for what had happened, that I didn't really allow his grief to come into it. Because I think if I had, I think it would have pushed me under altogether. I, I, if I had allowed him to really speak about his own grief, then I, I just, I don't know how I would have coped. So in a way, I started running around, doing lots of things, getting busy, you know, joining every committee, starting literally running, running, running. And the truth is, until I stopped all that busyness and came off the treadmill and just sat with him in his sadness as well. And we both acknowledged our own sadness about what had happened and our own, the loss of those dreams for both of us and our family. Then it's, it's probably like healing can't really happen. And I know tr- healing is a triggering word for some people, but, you know, listening to one another and connecting with one another and talking about what had happened was the way forward. It is. It, it was for us, you know, because I think if you're too busy doing other things, you can't run from this. You've got to sit with it. It's the only way, even though it's so it's the hardest thing to do is being present with it. And because it, it, you feel like it's eating you up and you just got, you just want to run away from it. But inevitably, you have to come home, you know, to yourself and your husband or your partner. You've got to you've got to look this straight in the eye and say it's really hurting. It's really hard. But there is a way through this, you know. And then you discovered sea swimming and that was a real turning point for you. Yeah, in fact, Patricia, I'm not long back in. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was jumps. thinking that you yeah. were probably out this morning yeah. having because you, yeah, Mond- you do a Monday morning swim with Richard. Yes, that's our thing. That's like, I mean, it's hard with the way routine goes. It's hard. We don't really go out in the evenings. We don't, you know, that's our thing. Um, we get the kids to school and we get the dog in the car and the two of us go to a beautiful little Atlantic cove called Shrews Beach. And we go there on a Monday morning. And I have to say this morning, there was nothing enticing about it. The sky was kind of grey. <laughs> Freezing. The water was a bit choppy. <laughs> I knew it was going to be cold. It's February. It's going to bite. And I looked out and I thought, I don't, I don't feel like this. I felt the fear. Mondays, I feel the weight of the world a bit on a Monday. It's like, oh, I don't want to do this. But in we got a few strokes 
and all of a sudden you know you were in there then you look at it and you think I was out there I was doing that I'm, do- I'm doing Monday <laughs> all of a sudden so it's actually yeah sea swimming is a bit like that you know it sort of takes you out of your comfort zone gives you a bit of a shock and all of a sudden you think oh my god I'm so glad I was in there I was in that element and you know what I'm doing this I'm doing the day <laughs> and there's a lot of people particularly during the pandemic a lot of people took to sea swimming mm-hmm. didn't they yeah, I think I think we we realised, you know, I mean, we're an island, and it it, it kind of is maybe amazing that more of us weren't doing it, you know, for for, for decades before. Um, some of us were obviously, but um, yeah, I think a lot of people realised during the pandemic there was almost like a collective sadness, a collective you know paralysis we don't know what to be doing with ourselves do we what's going on here we're so out of our comfort zone I think people found when they went to the ocean or the lakes or the blue spaces they found a connection maybe others they could meet up with others there was a community there when we couldn't go outside of our 5k there was the ocean also you know it doesn't ask any questions you just get into this you know cold space and you're grateful for the the the, you know that it's moving it's ebbing and flowing it's almost like it allows you to be fully present fully present in your body because there's nowhere else you can be it's too cold you can't (laughs) think about much else so i i find that it's a great it's just great for taking you out of your own head and i think during the pandemic we just needed to get out of our own heads because life was hard yeah and that's what that sea swimming particularly when it's that cold and i love the way you describe the way you get into the water I'm exactly the same if I'm even getting into a swimming pool I'm the one ooing yeah. and aying with, and instead of just going in and going under yeah. it, oh, it's it's the actual yeah. thought of it come here Cathy the reaction yeah. what reaction have you had I know the book has been out since uh, the start of mm. the month are you hearing mm. from other women particularly other women that have been on that miscarriage journey it's actually kind of amazing Patricia I'm so humbled by the response I thought in writing the book I wanted to write it with a full heart and just say warts and all this is this is how it was this was motherhood for me this was my life here when I tried to change it this this is what happened and I and I put that out there and I wanted it to resonate my my main goal was that it would find its people it would find those people who needed it you know and what's amazing is it's like I've opened that door and these people are finding me now and they're messaging me and they're reaching out and they're telling me their stories and they're telling me this is how it was for me or I've, I've had messages from people the book is with me I'm you know I was over in Rome for the rugby or I'm here sitting on my you know I'm in Kerry or I'm people are sending me their pictures of them sitting reading the book in the yeah. outdoor space thinking I'm in good company it's actually just every day every day I am it's so beautiful and I'm so grateful for it and I can't I cannot believe that the little book that I sat down at Malin Head in my friend's cottage to write with the waves just lashing the shore. I just cannot believe the ripple effect it's, it's having in the world. And I am so grateful and heartened by that because that was my heart's desire for it, Patricia. Well, you, you've always had a great gift as a journalist, but by God, this your book uh, absolutely blew me away. It, it really is just so, Thank so you. beautiful. And I can see, you know, uh, people messaging and commenting about their own miscarriages. For example, Sheila mm-hmm. said, I had a miscarriage in 1991 and the doctor said, uh, take care of the ones you have and don't be worried about the ones you don't have. God almighty, how cruel. How, how cruel. Your, your, your child <sighs> is always going to be your child. Yeah. Although if I had if I had a penny for every insensitive comment I've received, but I suppose sometimes you just got to let people, 
you know, don't don't dwell on it. Just focus on your own healing because mm-hmm. and your own, you know, minding yourself. Because if you let those other people's opinions get inside your head, it's really damaging. And I, I've done that, so I'm 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 kind of out the other side well of, of I can say that. Yeah. Let it go. They know no different. And you just know. be it's, everyone it's just ignorant, but be, let it go. And everyone just be kind to yourself. I think that's the most important yeah. one. And my final oh, question really? is how is great great aunt Lily's rose bush, is it still flourishing? It's great. It's doing really well. I, I, I still I just I still just look at it every day and I put a little bit little finger to it. It's we it's we I can start to start to see the little buds on it now, the little tiny little leaves. It's doing great. Thank God. It's beautiful. And people are going to have to read the book to find out why we're talking about Aunt Lily's Rosebush. Listen, it was fantastic. And I really enjoyed our chat, uh, Cathy. Thank you for that. And thanks Thank for joining you. us. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, Lovely to chat. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Cathy Donaghy. The book is called Finding My Wild. And my apologies for getting it wrong at the start. Uh, it is published by O'Brien Press and it really is a great read. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Now, my next guest, Anne Gilday, will be well known to many listeners because she is a, was a founder member of the critically acclaimed Irish musical comedy, The Three Newless. But Anne joins me today to talk about her new show, which is called How to Get the Menopause and Enjoy It. And she's bringing it to the Glen Theatre in Pantier on the 25th of March. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning, Patricia. Thank you for having me on the show. You're very um, well. And, and uh, you know, you were saying well, I'm in Bantir. Also, a biggie is I the um, the biggie is I'm in the Everyman in Cork on the eighth of July. I have that. It. Is I have the, the, I have the that jewel written, in the crown. I have that written down in front <laughs> yeah. of me, and I was going to mention yeah. it as well. I promise you that. It's just you. the near the nearest one is the one in in Bantir at the end of the at the that end. That is of, correct. Okay. Yeah, really looking forward to that. I've never been there. We uh, never even went there with the newlers, so you, I'm really looking forward to that. You will love it. You will absolutely love it. Now I say new show, but you actually launched this last February, didn't you? It's been running for the last I, year. Um, that's right. Uh, launched it on Valentine's Day. Um, um, 2022 and it was just after the lockdown so it was very you know it was a really interesting time there was still the audience was very thinned out and everybody was wearing masks but and and I didn't know how it would land because we had finished doing the new list and I wanted something new and it just kind of took off I think it's a a combination of the topic (laughs) I think it was very serendipitous that I, I just happened to decide to talk about that. Um, I was trying to do a show, Patricia, about midlife from a female point of view. And then and then it gradually turned into this menopause thing. And the wonderful thing is everybody's talking about it now. It's, uh, you know, it's a bit like your the item you just had on before about um, miscarriages. miscarriages. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just having, you know, when the, when the conversation is open, it just it just kind of makes it all right. It humanizes it. It makes it okay, you know. And there's such secrecy around menopause in the past. And um, it was actually my partner Paul who, during lockdown, said you really should frame the show around <laughs> menopause. It was him who suggested it, and I was like, do it. 
who wants to hear about that? And um, it, it was it's quite funny that it just became such a big thing then. But researching it, I couldn't believe all I didn't know. Like, you know, we, we all women know your periods are going to stop. You might get the odd hot flush. But my God, so many other things are going on in your body. It literally affects absolutely everything. Yeah. And, and, I, not and I think, I think the likes of Davina yeah. McCall has done wonders with her television programmes to get people, to get women to talk about something that happens. It's natural. It's going to happen. It's going to affect some people more than it will affect other people. But I suppose a lot of it goes back to we're just not great. We're great about talking, but not talking about certain things. For example, do you remember, did your mother ever talk to you about menopause? No. And that's what I talk about in the show, that uh, this secrecy going right back to like certainly in my generation, I'm mid 50s now. People never even really talked about periods or anything. And there was such sign of secrecy and I, I talk about the crazy stories we used to tell each other about if you used a tampon and what if it got lost. And there was just all this madness around it. And then menopause, not a mention of it at all. And I think the problem there is that then women start experiencing symptoms like they can have really low mood, brain fog. They can feel a lack of confidence. They're not coping as well. And they don't realize that it's menopause. And when you can frame it, you know what it is. And then you can ask, is there something I can do? But when you don't realize what it is, I think women often are really hard on themselves. And like, it's a very dark statistic, but the highest rate of suicide for women is from the mid forties to the mid fifties. And that is totally in the moment when perimenopause is really kicking in yeah, for women. Absolutely. And I absolutely. Think, you know, and, and Anne, who, who, when you look at your audience, is it mainly women of a certain age? Age or do the odd few brave men turn up as well? It is mainly women of a certain age. But this is a funny thing about the show because I had a lot of time to do a lot of research and I put a lot of work into it. So it's really full of content. And women come back with their partners. I've had women come back and bring their husbands. And there's always men in the audience and they always enjoy it. And here's also a funny thing. The Newlers had a really big gay following. And so from fans of the Newlers, I will, believe it or not, still get um, gay couples coming along like, you know, fellas. Yeah. And I love that. And you know what they love? They love that the, it's the same tone of the humour and that way of looking at life. Because at the end of the day, it is human and it's in every story, you know, and it is kind of the... The, the secret life of women, which is, you know, affects everybody. As I say to the fellas in the audience, it's a it's a very inclusive condition. You don't have to get it to suffer from it. <laughs> Listen, it sounds like an absolute hoot from start to finish. We wish you luck with it, um, Anne. You're in the Glen Theatre on the 25th of March, but you said the biggie is going to be the Everyman in the summer on the 8th of July. Good luck with it, Anne, and thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Thank you so much, Patricia. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Anne Gilday and her show was called How to Get the Menopause and Enjoy It. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. C103's Summer Getaway. 
And yes, uh, Brian Adams' Summer of 69 is today's uh, song, Sunshine Song of the Day. Lots of texts, lots of WhatsApps in. Where are we going? We're going to Aragon, where I'm joined by Anne Heffernan. Good afternoon, Anne. Good afternoon, Trish. Uh, how is your Monday going so far? So far, so good. Is... I can't complain. Okay. It's a chilly day, though, isn't it? It's chilly and dull here, yeah. So you're dreaming of sunshine? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Lying on a beach? Yeah, it sounds good. Cocktail in hand, maybe? Getting better. <laughs> okay, I got a question for you. Uh, what do kids take to the beach? A, mop and bucket, or B, bucket and spade? Bucket and spade. Uh, it is a bucket and spade. And that means we're putting your name on a ticket that goes into the hat for next Friday when Nick Richards will be making the draw and our final holiday is a week for two in Mallorca. Now, you'd have to be available to travel, and on the 6th of June. Would that cause any problems for you? Absolutely none. And my <laughs> last and final question, who would you bring with you? Oh, I, I better uh, take the safe bit of saying my husband. <laughs> <laughs> What's Hobby's name? Willie. Willie, okay. All right. Oh, you'd have to bring him. You'd have to. All right, listen, congratulations, Anne, and uh, thank you for, for taking our call. Thanks a million treats. Bye-bye. 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 Anne Heffernan, along with her husband, Willie, might be winging their way to Mallorca. We've got to get more qualifiers right throughout this week. Today's song, Brian Adams, Summer of 69. I can tell you it'll be played again this afternoon with Nick Richards. Martina will play it again. And then tomorrow we'll start all over again and you'll have a brand new Sunshine song, which Ken will tell you about in the morning. And then you got to stay tuned throughout the day. Whenever you hear the song, texting, whatsapping 0862 103 103. We've already had two winners. We've had a winner heading to Salou and a winner heading to Lanzarote. And this is our final giveaway on the C103 Summer Giveaway. And it is a week in uh, Mallorca. 0818 103 103. It is Monday. So that means we are taking your questions, please, for Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist. If you have a question for Annalise, you can call John Paul or you can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 6210303. Somebody sent in a lovely uh, message uh, following my interview with Anne. Um, Anne Gilday, who, who we were, to, who I was talking to about her very funny show. She is one formerly one of the three Nulas, and she's coming to the Glen Theatre and she's coming to the Everyman with her show about how to get the menopause and enjoy it. And by all accounts, it is an absolute hoot. Somebody said I actually met Anne in Mitchestown at my aunt's funeral, and she really is a beautiful, a beautiful person. But she's very talented and very funny as well. So people can go to the Glen Theatre in Bantir to see her. Or later on in the summer, she's going to be coming to for her she said for her big gig in the uh, Everyman 0818103103 let me just take a look at some of your texts that were coming in to us uh, earlier um, on Holly Kearns when we mentioned at the start of the programme that Holly Kearns is now going to become the new leader of the Social Democrats Miriam was on to say hopefully Holly Kearns will form an alliance of her own and support whoever is in government to get them 
to get the work done as they won't get anything done on their own. Hopefully she'll stick with the party and will not decide to align with the Labour Party. That is one of the questions I'm going to ask her because there's been, this isn't a new thing that's been mentioned with Social Democrats. It's been mentioned for the last, certainly the last year or two. There's been lots of talk saying, should they align themselves? Should they go in with the the Labour Party? But certainly anyone from Social Democrats have always said no. So I'd be interested to see what Holly has to say about it. But Miriam reckons they will, they're obviously a small party we don't know how many seats they'll have after the next general election, but she reckons that they should go form some kind of a coalition. 0818103103. Patricia, there's been a number of recent discussions about increasing free GP services to the 6 to 12 year old age group. If you ask any um, any GP at the moment, they will tell you their workloads. They are in crisis with their workload. And now subsequent increase in the free service would only exasperate what already is a very very worrying situation for GPs. If children were offered a restriction to say four or five annual visits a year free to the GP and then the parents pay for anything outside of that, that might encourage parents to seek alternative solutions, maybe pop along to the local pharmacy before rushing off to the doctor for every minor ailment just because they are getting it for free. And a lot of GPs say that themselves, that as soon as they offer a free service, people have a tendency to use it. I'm not saying abuse it, but they'll use it more, the fact that it is, it is free. Maybe that's a solution rather than it being a blanket free GP card so that a parent can bring a child as many times as they want. This texter saying restricted to so many visits a year and then anything above that people would have to pay for. Because bearing in mind if it was somebody on a low income, they would be entitled to the GP card or maybe we would have a full medical card. And then there's a number of people have uh, been commenting on the Emma who uh, contacted us over the weekend who is living in a town in County Cork. She doesn't want to say where she's living. She's in renting rental accommodation. She's been renting it for some eight years along with her husband and, and their children. Everything's fine. The house is perfect and all of that. I mean, she would prefer not to be renting but she's not, they're not in a, uh, financially in a position that they can afford to buy a property, not with the way house prices are gone. But she said of late, certainly the last six months, she's really living in fear and in dread that her landlady will ring up one day and say, look, want to get out of this game, going to sell the property. And she said because of that, she's having sleepless nights. So the, the landlady hasn't said anything to her yet, but she's just in fear of what if it happens? What if the day comes that the landlady says, I no longer want to be a landlady? And uh, she said she's already like monitoring uh, almost on a daily basis, monitoring to see what is available for rent in her area. She said there literally is nothing available for rent. Her children are in school. So she said it's important that they remain in the area where they're living at the moment. But she's just wondering, is she just being over anxious about this? But it is exactly actually causing sleepless nights. I just think it's it's a dreadful way to be living her life. And she's wondering, is she on her own? Well, a number of people uh, saying anyone who is in private rental accommodation at the moment, there is huge insecurity. Uh, one person uh, says that is a very genuine fear for all of us. Um, I know I have a friend in the very same situation and she lives in fear as well. So tell Emma she's not on her own. And then Mara says, I unfortunately have just heard, we've just heard from our landlord last month that they are selling nothing to rent anywhere close by where we're renting at the moment. We were able to view one property. It's not even in the town we're currently living in. It's in a different town. Not ideal, but listen, it was a viewing. We decided we'd go. But when, but then we got turned down 
to even go for the because there were so many applications. So went, got the viewing, but told no, sorry, we're giving it to uh, somebody else. And that is the huge problem when people go along to viewings only to discover that there can be hundreds of people going for the same uh, viewing. So that then means that the landlord, landlady can pick whoever they want to rent the property and sometimes it can go then to the highest bidder and people can get priced out at the market. Hi Patricia, I have a termination notice for the 1st of uh, June. I've been searching and searching, can't find any place to live. I'm living in this property for 15 years and the owner has now told me they are are, are deciding to uh, sell so after 15 years. And that's the big difference with renting in this country versus renting in other countries. I mean, if you look at a lot of the European countries, particularly the Scandinavian countries like Norway and uh, Sweden, they rent. They, they don't have that thing of owning their own properties the way we do in this country. In many people living in Sweden will have rented all of their lives and they'll come from, you know, and their fam- their parents before them will have rented. And But there's great security when you rent property in a lot of other European countries. And we just, I mean, I know we've got this, the ban on evictions at the moment, but that's going to be gone on the 31st of uh, March. And the fear factor is, will that open the floodgates and will you have more landlords deciding to uh, get out of it? And then somebody wants to offer advice to Emma, who contacted us, who literally is lying awake at night are waking up in the middle of the night and having a broken night's sleep, so fearful that the landlady might decide to sell. Uh, A piece of advice for uh, Emma, who is so uh, worried. She describes her landlady as being a lovely lady. Why doesn't she simply have a chat with her? Tell her landlady of the fears she's having and maybe then her landlady might be able to put her mind at ease. But I wish her the very best of luck and a lot of people understanding where the fear factor is coming from. But I suppose straight away I'm thinking... Emma would probably say that she's too afraid to even broach the subject with the landlady for fear that she might put the idea into her head of her uh, selling it, but certainly is very, very nervous. But from, as I say, from the calls and comments and texts coming in, uh, poor old Emma is certainly not on her own. 0818103103. John Paul's uh, taking your calls. We're in particular looking for questions for Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist. If you want to call John Paul, you can. You can call 0818103103. You can text her WhatsApp to 086 with your questions as well to 103. 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now, Donnerail Active Retirement Group, they have their next meeting this afternoon at three o'clock. Their guest speaker is going to be Nora O'Keefe, who will speak on historical facts of Donnerail. All are welcome. Sheep farmers are in crisis and many will not survive the current financial losses in the sale of sheep and lambs. With that in mind, the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association have organised a meeting protest outside of Dáil Éireann tomorrow, Tuesday from 12 noon to 3. It's to highlight the crisis. The ICSA are calling on all sheep farmers to join them tomorrow outside the Dáil. Shambhali Moore Bingo is on tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. That's in the community hall with a jackpot of €1,050. 
and the Bantry Memory Cafe, which will be held on the first Wednesday of every month. So that means this Wednesday, the 1st of March, 11am to 1pm in the Maritime Hotel. The Free Cafe is a welcoming place for people to meet others living with dementia or cognitive impairment, as well as their family and friends. It's a great opportunity to meet health and social care professionals as well. Group, promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Okay, and keep your questions coming for Annalise uh, Drussell. She's going to be joining me in a couple of minutes, but I want to go to the phone lines uh, first. Where is this piece gone? Um, on two, I'm going to two. I'm uh, going to two where John O'Donovan uh, joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you, John. Hi, Patricia, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, you've contacted us about something that was announced last week, and this is to do with the announcement that the actor Patrick Duffy, who Mm -hmm. is a star of Dallas, people of a certain age will remember the programme Dallas, he was Bobby Ewing in uh, Dallas. He is going to be celebrating his birthday in Dublin this year because he is the guest of honour at the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Dublin. in Dublin, is he's is he, um, is he the Grand Marshal? He is, yeah. Why is he the Grand Marshal? Well, exactly why? Because any like uh, Dallas and this, and uh, I think it was, uh, it was Friday the third of May, nineteen ninety one. That's thirty one years ago. So anyone born Patricia after nineteen ninety one, want to know who the hell this guy is? Let's <laughs> 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 be honest. They'd be saying, "Mammy, who's that?" <laughs> yeah, because he, I, because I, I can't even think of anything he's been in since that I could say. Oh, well, they might know him from that. Well, well you see, what happened is in in 1985, he got notions of grandeur, and he was thinking Hollywood was calling, and he decided he wanted to opt out of the show of Dallas, right? Even though a lot of his uh, colleagues in the show were trying to talk him out of it. And we all know what happened, and there was a car crash and everything, and there was a funeral, and the character Bobby Ewing was dead. But then he found out there wasn't all cozy out there in Hollywood. No one was come calling, right? And the show was kind of going down in the ratings because he was missed in the spat between him and the brother JR. So they offered him a lot of money, and he the office hadn't come in from Hollywood, so he decided to come back in 1996. So what they done then, this is what I'm fearful now, that people will, like... Uh, the wife then, uh, Pam, um, she got out of bed one morning and this had started a new season after being dead and buried. And there he was inside and he opened the, sh- the door in the shower and he popped out and he said, good morning. So what they had done, they had written off the whole, for anyone who had never seen it, they had written off the whole of 1985 as if it never happened, right? Yeah, the whole and previous series was written off. Yep. She, he pulls back the shower curtain, morning, and then morning. she says, oh, I had an awful dream that you got yep. killed. <laughs> yeah, it was all it was all a dream sequence on her, be, on her behalf. So what, what I'm worried about now is maybe that everyone will go to the expense of turning up in Dublin for the parade with their family, kids, and all that. People tune in the TV, and didn't they get up the next morning Patricia and they find out there was no play it was all a dream but <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just I just tried to read up on okay he obviously with a name like Patrick Duffy he obviously mm-hmm. and he was born on St. Patrick's Day yeah. so we can we can see the Patrick and the Duffy it was his grandfather emigrated from Ireland to America in the 1920s 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, but I don't know. Has he has he been to Ireland a lot? I don't I don't know if you know the way a lot of the Americans love coming back to Ireland. I don't know if I would identify Bobby Ewing as coming back and and selling his well, Irish roots a lot. The, the only time I've seen him over the years was and that's going back to a good way now as well, when Gay Borden was in the late age church, he doesn't get Borden anyway. That he, he came on and he was a guest and he was telling him about um how he he's a Buddhist, he practiced the Buddhist faith. And um, he found that uh, his modern father had a kind of a, I think it was a kind of a general store in some little town. And uh, there was a robbery took place and they were both shot. And he found out that his uh, Buddhist faith got him through that. So that was the only time I saw him being interviewed on TV. But well, it seems, said, it seems he came back with his wife last year, 2022, mm-hmm. to trace his Irish roots. And they, they mm-hmm. go back to Kilmovey in County Mayo. But mm-hmm. what I'm reading in front of me, that looks like the only time he came back was last year to trace his Irish roots. And suddenly someone in the St. Patrick's Day Festival in Dublin obviously decided, wouldn't he be great? Well, I mean, we couldn't, and in all fairness, I mean, whatever size of a committee they have, they'll know for to kind of put the names in. They had to pick somebody else. I mean, this goes on, like, I mean, for the whole 12 months before the new Paddy's Day comes around, Patricia. I mean, as I said, anyone born after, uh, after 1991, one or who this guy is, surely they could have got somebody more current and more in, in, in favour, I mean, that people recognise the guy. <laughs> well, the festival organisers say that Patrick uh, Duffy is a bona fide legend of the screen and he holds a special place in the hearts of so many Irish people, Irish households. But you're saying so many Irish people over a certain age only. Well, I mean, let's, Anybody let's under 40. I know yeah. I, I, when, when you contacted John Paul, John Paul got asked me because he do, he doesn't know what we're talking about when we mentioned Bobby Ewing. Yeah, of course. And he's in his <laughs> early forties. So anyone in their yeah. early forties back yeah, are not. So the, when when did you say the shower scene was? What year? Um, that was uh, it. Nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty five was when he was dead and buried. And oh, he came <laughs> back from nineteen eighty six. Miraculous recovery. <laughs> so, so yeah, and anyone anyone born from the nineteen eighties onwards. I'm not going to have a clue who Bobby Ewing well, is. As I said, well, I'm afraid of no all the expense and everything putting this parade on and we could wake up the next day and <laughs> find out it never happened. <laughs> who, but, 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 but on a serious note, do you, who do you, should they be relying on for any of these Grand Marshals? Should it be an, a Dublin person? Somebody, there's got to be somebody who's done well in the last year because that's normally who they give it to. Wasn't yeah, it the young boxers last year? Yeah, if they got someone like Paul Meskell or someone yeah, like that, someone yeah. that's current and that's well known and that's doing very good and will, I think is going to go on to do great things. Somebody like that. We're bringing back somebody out of Dallas after all these years, as I said. Let's be honest. Like, I think they're, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> I dare I ask, I wonder, was he cheap? Because do you, do you pay for that? I don't know, I don't know if there's, if, would there be a fee? Attached to that. Well, well, well obviously, like, he'd, be, he'd be put up in fairly uh, luxurious surroundings, I say, and the flights would be paid for now, that kind of stuff. Now, whether there'd be an actual fee, Patricia paid, I don't know. But, I mean, as I said, I think surely they could have done something better because there will be kids inside there and teenagers and saying, Mammy, who's that? Who's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I do know that, for, I don't know if it's the first year they've done it, but in Dublin they're putting up a lot of these stands where people can book a seat, but they're really, they're, they're completely sold really out. Really expensive. Really expensive. I'm yeah, thinking, like, yeah. surely all the parts of the St. Patrick's Day Parade that we all remember as children growing up is standing there 
with your yeah. parents and when you were very yeah. small, you were popped up onto daddy's shoulder so you could see everything going. You know, why they're putting these stands in and then putting them in so expensive that it's only the elite are going to be able to bring their that's family. All, yeah, that's yeah, very that, unfair. That's, that's like segregation. I yeah, mean, I mean yeah. everybody lined the streets together, young, old, rich, poor, whatever, on Patrick's Day, you know. Who's, so who's Grand Marshal in Cork or do you know? Um, God knows. I don't, I don't think it's been announced yet. I didn't hear it anyway. Yeah. No, won't be me anyway. Okay. And Frick, <laughs> and just to point out with Patrick Duffy, Frick wants to point out he was also in Man from Atlantis, so coming out of the shower suited him. He was. That's right. <laughs> that was Man from Atlantis was before. That was before Dallas. Bobby yeah. Ewing, yeah. Bobby Ewing was, 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 yeah. his, was his big one. All right. Okay. Listen, John, thank you for that. Thanks and very uh, much. thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is, uh, or good afternoon, John O'Donovan. Concerned about the fact that if you are going to Dublin, that it's Patrick Duffy is going to be the Grand uh, Marshal. But, you know, there's going there are people listening, scratching their heads, going, who are you talking about when you say Bobby Ewing and the big soap opera star that he was and Dallas? That was an absolutely massive show at its time. Okay, lots of questions coming in for Annalise. We're going to take a break and she'll join us right after these. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie This is the Court Today replay on C103. Well, we are heading uh, to the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic, where Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist, joins us. Uh, good afternoon, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. Lots of questions in. Let's do our best to get through as many of them as possible. Anne in Bandon was on, worried about her husband, who she thinks may have some kind of an allergy, uh, an allergy that seems to always get worse in the winter months. He gets a constant cough and his nose is constantly running all of the time, but doesn't have a high temperature, is not sick, just this cough and a runny nose. Could it be allergy related, she's wondering? Um, I would say, very likely, I would say. Um, And generally, I think when I hear there's a cough in the winter, I always think mould, Patricia. So a lot of people are allergic to mould and some people are highly, highly allergic to moulds. And this year particularly was quite mild and very, very wet. So I think there was an awful lot of people started to uh, suffer a lot more this year because of the damp. And of course, damp and warm is mould. So um, you could probably get tested for mould allergies and that would clear it up. Or, um, and then what do you do if you do have a mould allergy? So that's the difficult one. Even if you live in a, in a house that doesn't have any obvious damp, older houses generally tend to have quite a lot of mould spores. And the only way really to get rid of them is to deal with any obvious damp and then to use air purifiers that will filter out the mould spores from the air. Um, And they are expensive and it's worth spending money on a good one because the cheap ones, they're not going to do it. And if you're highly sensitive, you'll still be reacting. So I think Dyson do an excellent one. And what you could do is you could run it in the rooms that you spend most of your time. So maybe the kitchen or the living room and the bedroom then before bed at night. And then I'd suggest taking um, maybe some natural antihistamines throughout the winter. So these are applied during the summer as well. Uh, Natural antihistamines are things like quercetin, uh, which we get from apples and onions. Um, Also, vitamin B5 is very good. Stinging nettle is another great one, as well as a natural antihistamine and vitamin C. So you could start taking those kinds of um, remedies in advance of the damp months. Um, those natural antihistamines. And then the last thing I would recommend is Dr. Claire. She does a blend called Allertone. 
and it is fantastic for managing symptoms, a herbal blend. So you could take that throughout the winter months as well. OK, Chris, could you ask Annalise, please, what's the best to take for pains in joints? It's due to the menopause. OK, so when it's due to the menopause, Patricia, um, you, you could take natural anti-inflammatories for the joints, but actually you're not really going to probably get to the root of the problem. I'd recommend in this case HRT if you can get it from your doctor um, because for a lot of women it clears it up within a week or two. Um, if you can't get HRT, if you can't take it for any reason, we get absolutely fantastic feedback here on a couple of different products. The best one is the Nutri-Advanced um, Mega Mag uh, Perimenopause Support is what it's called. So Nutri-Advanced is the company and it's the Mega Mag Perimenopause Support and that is very, very good for dealing with the hormone side of things because it's the hormones that, um, it's the lack of estrogen that's, that's um, uh, contributing to the inflammation in the joints. If you did want to take a joint support, I'd go for an anti-inflammatory approach as opposed to uh, a glucosamine cartilage approach. So I'd take things like, um, um, let's see, Boswellia is fantastic, which comes from frankincense and also the extract of turmeric, which is called curcumin. And we've got a couple of really nice ones here in the shop. Again, Nutri-Advanced is a lovely company. Um, and they do one called Curcudine Forte. And that one is fantastic for bringing, bringing down pain, swollen joints. OK, hi, Annelise. Would you have any suggestions, please, for somebody who is getting constant urinary tract infections? Oh God, they can be so nasty. They are, Patricia, and you know what? I've actually seen quite a lot of them since COVID and, the, and, and actually people get them at post-vaccine, uh, COVID vaccine as well. So I don't know if there's a kind of a relationship between the COVID virus and um, UTIs, but I'm seeing a lot more of them, particularly in men as well, for some strange reason. Don't know why. So the problem with UTIs is that when you take an antibiotic to clear, the, clear up the UTI, it actually knocks out all the good bacteria and it basically leaves open ground for any um, UTI-causing bacteria to start to colonize and grow again. So people actually find that they're in a vicious cycle of having to take an antibiotic constantly to manage symptoms of UTIs. So the best natural treatment is to re repair the kidneys, the health of the kidneys, and re-inoculate them with good bacteria, and then prevent the disease-causing bacteria from, from working. So we recommend a combination of D-mannose, which is a type of sugar. You can take that three times a day for treatment and once a day for uh, prevention. We also recommend cranbiotics, which is a combination of cranberry extract and the probiotic, the good bacteria, to put them back in. And once those good bacteria are in a healthy urinary tract, they kind of colonize Patricia and take up all the space. So there's very little space then for the disease-causing bacteria to, um, to be able to get a foothold and grow. That D-mannose also prevents those bacteria from being able to stick on. And the third thing we recommend then is, again, Dr. Claire. She does a blend called Cystone, C-Y-S-T-O-N-E. And this is very good for nourishing the, the cells and the kidneys to keep them nice and healthy so that they can, you know, sustain a healthy population of bacteria and repel the negative UTI-causing bacteria. I've used that and it's excellent. It really is good. It does work, yeah. Okay. Uh, hi, Annalise. When is the best time of the year to take the Source of Life Gold tonic? 
Um, I think any time that you feel you need it, Patricia, is the answer to that one. Now, personally, I always feel I need it around December because it's always been a very busy month. And I nearly always need to take it again around February, March. So I take a month around those times. But I know a lot of my school teacher customers take it throughout the whole winter season. So they'd start in September. They mightn't finish up until Easter because they find it really helps them get through the year without getting coughs and colds and all the sniffles that the kids get. Um, so it's really, when, whenever you feel you need it yourself, you can also just buy a week's worth. So sometimes I would just, if I was feeling a bit tired, I might do a week's of mm. it. Um, but it is safe to take long term. It's mostly food based. So it's very safe for people if they feel it benefits them to take it all year round, they can. OK, hi. Question for Annalise, please. I'm a female, early 40s, extreme tiredness. It is being monitored by the GP. Last summer, I had blood work done, thinking perimenopausal, but the hormone levels came back and they were all OK. But what was identified was the vitamin D was very low. So I went on a treatment course for that. Tiredness improved, but then it came back recently. Follow-up appointment showed B12 levels very low this time. Can Annalise recommend a good all-rounder for me, please? I'm also taking escitalopram whatever that is yeah that's um, what we call it uh, an SSRI a serotonin a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor okay so it's an antidepressant um, so you know this is a difficult one Patricia tiredness because really there's so many possible causes but the most obvious causes are low B12 and low iron the reason you get tired if you're low in these is because they're essential as well as folate to make your blood cells. And if your blood cells can't carry oxygen around the body to your cells, you will feel exhausted because your cells need oxygen to make energy. So that's the reasoning behind that. So I think if you're low in B12 and you don't eat meat, you will need to take a supplement all year round, really. And we love the Salgar B12 nuggets because they get absorbed in the mouth. Um, also, Nutri Advanced, that company, they do one that gets absorbed in the mouth as well. And the reason that that's a benefit is because a lot of people lack the ability to be able to absorb B12 due to something going on in the stomach, and it tends to be genetic. Um, so making sure it gets absorbed in the mouth bypasses that difficulty with the digestive system not being able to absorb it. So that would be one reason, low B12 low iron and low folate, low vitamin D. But then other reasons could be, even if you don't have the signs of menopause, it's possible that your hormones are imbalanced. So it could be down to that. So in that case, you'd have to work on rebalancing the hormones. And if you've got a lot of PMT symptoms like weepiness, irritability, painful breasts, painful heavy periods with clots, then it is definitely hormone balance. Stress is a big factor in tiredness as well, Patricia. Um, So... If, you've, if you're kind of pumping all your resources down the stress pathway, that can make you feel exhausted. And eventually you kind of get a mini burnout mm. um, and that will make you feel tired as well. And then there is post-viral fatigue, which we've seen quite a lot of since COVID. So I'd recommend for this lady really is to go maybe work with a nutritional therapist to try and identify the root cause and work on it at that level. But a good all-rounder will be something that's very, very well absorbed. So you're looking again at the source of life, gold, or Oxylent is another lovely one. And you could take ginseng for a bit of an energy boost every now and then, which is great to kind of give you a non-caffeine burst of energy, you know, and so you don't get jittery, but you get the boost. OK, hi, Annalise. I, uh, I have shingles at the moment. Any remedies, uh, please? I have a lot of burning pain. 
Okay, so, oh yes, very painful, Patricia. Um, lysine probably is very good for suppressing those that type and, and the shingles virus and also the um, chickenpox virus and also the herpes simplex virus. So you could take lysine every few hours. Hypericum is a homeopathic remedy that's very good for damaged nerves and, and inflamed nerves. So that would be another one that you'd add to it. And then we love the sort, the olive leaf extract for shingles because it's such a powerful antiviral. Um, it's not specific to shingles, but it's just a very powerful antiviral full stop. So take that and then make sure you're taking the usual, your vitamin C, your zinc, your vitamin D um, are all very important for the immune system. So a combination of those and hopefully you'll get over it without any residual nerve problems. Hi, Annelise. Is there anything for restless legs? So uncomfortable, a lot of twitching in my legs. Okay, so we, this is probably, isn't this, Patricia, the most common one yeah, we hear really yeah, on the radio? Sure. Um, so restless legs, generally combination of different um, causes. But the first one I think always is magnesium deficiency. So taking a magnesium supplement can help. The one that we love is the Nutri-Advanced. I mean, I'm mentioning these a lot actually today, but they do have lovely products. Um, it's called Mega Mag Muscle Ease. So there's a lot of things in there for besides magnesium for muscle pain and muscle cramping and restless legs. So that could be one reason. Low B12, low iron and low folate, that's another reason. So you could get those checked. And if they're low, the doctor's blood test shows that they're low, take a supplement. Sometimes it's varicose veins, Patricia calls it. So um, the, the, the best thing for varicose veins is is hawthorn is excellent and horse chestnut. Both of those are very good for the health of veins. And you can also get horse chestnut in a cream or in a gel. Dr. Claire does a fantastic one. It's called Vena Tone, I think. And then you can also buy one in most health shops if they don't have the Dr. Claire stuff called Vena Gel. Okay, here's somebody who's got a cough. They've gone through two cough bottles. They've been on a course of antibiotics. Nothing's worked. Choked still and sinuses are blocked. Yeah, it's a very nasty recurrent cough that's going on this year, Patricia, and people seem to be kind of getting over the worst of it and then it comes back a week later. So it's a nasty virus that we have this year, but we knew it was coming. Um, so in this case here, I'd recommend the Dr. Claire, um, the mucotone, which is really good, especially if there's a lot of, of mucus and, and running noses. Uh, it's great for the whole respiratory system. It's a blend of different herbs that are great for boosting the immune system because there's echinacea in there for the inflammation that you get in the lungs and also to dry up mucus. And I'd combine that then with a good cough bottle. So um, the one that we love every year, but it's very hard to get at the moment, is the Convita Winter Wellness. But Pucca do an elderberry syrup that's very good. I've used that myself for coughs. And of course, Irish Botanica do a botanical syrup one, which is lovely as well. And I think the secret of the natural cough bottles, Patricia, is rather than take them religiously two teaspoons three times a day, I actually take a sip of them or a half a teaspoon of them when I feel that I'm going to start coughing. Because if it can soothe that cough and stop you getting into those absolute fits of coughing, it prevents all of that irritation and inflammation um, and the sore muscles that come with coughing. And also it's exhausting coughing that much as well. So a combination of those, and again, Take your combination of vitamin C, zinc and vitamin D at the same time. OK. Hi, Annelise. Any advice on how to treat mouth ulcers in an 11-year-old child? OK, so mouth ulcers is another common one that we get, Patricia. In my experience, um, 
it's often due to being allergic to the components in toothpaste, particularly something called sodium lauryl sulfate. So switching to a natural toothpaste without sodium lauryl sulfate would work very, very well. You'll get those in any health shop. Make sure that you're asking for sodium lauryl sulfate free toothpaste. And some of them will have fluoride. If you're worried about your kids' teeth, they will actually have fluoride in them as well. Um, And then I think using colloidal silver to help with the healing and to take the pain out, you'll buy this in a spray in the health store. And then if um, generally for anything to do kind of with skin or ulcers, you take a vitamin C and zinc for skin healing. So um, you can buy those for an 11-year-old suitable in a lozenge form and they could suck on one of those a day. Okay, and before we let you go, tell me about your Bone Health Day. It's happening this Thursday. Yeah, so there'll be myself and another nutritional therapist who works for one of the supplement companies, Nature's Plus. We're going to be here between 11 and 1 o'clock answering people's questions about bone health. Uh, We'll be talking about some of the different um, supplements. The Nature's Plus one is that um, one that we see very good results with. So uh, there'll be some free samples on the day as well of different products. And anybody who's any health question is welcome to come along. But it's going to be really very much focused on bone health. Okay, between 11 and 1 in Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic. Thank you for that, Annalise. We'll chat again next Monday. Thanks uh, for joining us. And as always, in the afternoon, Annalise puts up all of the topics that we've covered today as heard on the radio. And you can get that on her uh, website which is healthhubstore.com and our apologies that we didn't get to all of the questions some of the weeks just too many questions come in for Annalise to answer them all. There's a couple of texts in though about Dallas when we were talking with John um, he's quite taken aback that Patrick Duffy who used to play Bobby Ewing in Dallas is to be the Grand Marshal at the Dublin uh, Parade. Uh, Morris is in Carrigaline and Morris says I was born in the late 70s loved watching uh, Dallas. Morris says do you know that they actually made a new Dallas a few years ago where Patrick Duffy also once again played Bobby Ewing and JR was even in it. Unfortunately JR passed away and the show the show was then uh, cancelled. It was on Channel 5. No I don't, I can't say that I saw that uh, Morris but Morris clearly uh, remembers it. And on the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Dublin Dan says I see that the Patrick's Day Parade people in Dublin have tickets on sale for their grandstand 250 euro a uh, seat. Pity the fools who will pay for tickets just to watch a St. Patrick's Day parade. That's where I leave you for today. Do stay tuned though and you're listening out for Brian Adams Summer of 69 that is our sunshine song for the day. Um, my thanks to John Paul McNamara who produced Nick Richards with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 onto the line Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMI Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.